Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. I've worked with a lot of people that were alcoholics or, you know, in recovery for alcoholism or a chemical addiction. And what happens is when you take away that chemical addiction, whether it's alcohol and drugs underneath is usually some family of origin, Al-Anon issues. And then underneath that is usually where sex and love addiction, where because it really stems from fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy, fear of being loved, fear of not being worthy. And it, it affects all your relationships. So I had someone come in that said they had 32 years of sobriety in AA, but they have not wanted to come to sex and love addicts anonymous. And I had another person say I could quit heroin, but I can't quit her. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about ending the stigma around addiction and mental health. I'm your host, Jason, with a background of childhood trauma, alcoholism, and my co-host, Uncle Mikey. Hello, everybody. He's gone through uh, some adversities himself, struggled with some anxiety and depression. Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to have conversations with awesome people to help, like we said, in that stigma around addiction and mental health. Our guest this week, Brianne Davis. What a sweet lady. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the thing about it that it shows with recovery, of course, hers is a sex and love addiction, kind of a new area for us to get into. We have talked pornography, but not really spoken to a woman about this. She is incredibly open and honest. She even authored the uh, fictional book with some autobiographical stuff called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Of course, since talking with her, I have downloaded and listened to the majority of it. It is mind-blowing. It is crazy how far sex and love addiction can take you down a rabbit hole. Uh, But to see who she is now, you just wouldn't even compare. You would have never known. Yeah. It's incredible what she's overcome. We're all super happy for her, and uh, it's definitely a good listen or watch, depending on where you're tuning in. Yep, and uh, of course, if you want to find out more about her or get the book, uh, you can either get it at hardback, paperback, or uh, Audible, like I enjoy doing. Uh, Well, click that link in the podcast description for more on Breanne. Click that link in the podcast description for more on Breanne. Of course, we thank you for listening to the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Uh, If you have yet to subscribe, this is your first time listening, please do subscribe wherever you're listening, be it Apple Podcast app, where we would also appreciate a five-star rating and a review, Uh, Google Podcast, iHeart, Spotify, we are everywhere that you can get podcasts. Of course, if you're like Mikey, don't forget the YouTube channel. Yeah, you know, I I, want to see it. I like to watch what I'm listening to. Absolutely. Uh, We couldn't do any of this without 5150 LTM swagging us out wherever we go. Isn't there a promo code? There is, Uncle Mikey. It's pretty simple. If you go to the official website, 5150ltm.com, use promo code KDD20. What is it? Use KDD20 for 20% off at checkout. Sick. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, the lovely Miss Brianne Davis. How are you today? Oh, I'm swell. How are you? <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream. Uh, well, of course, uh, we're going to talk uh, about your personal story of love and sex addic- addiction, an area we've really not gone to yet. But uh, interestingly enough, me and this gentleman here next to me have really been more curious about it as we kind of unravel ourselves, as I think all people do. Um what prompted you to to write the book again? Um, can you tell people a little bit about the book, maybe where they can get it before we dig into that? Oh, yes. Thank you. Well, first of all, I never wanted to write a book. Let's just put it out there. It wasn't 
a goal of mine to go out into the world and say, Hey, I'm a working actress for 20 years. And I also am a sex and love addict in recovery for 12 years. Like that was not a goal at all. But what happened was when I hit 10 years, when I got a decade, when I got that gold chip in my hand, I was sitting in a room of 80 people in Los Angeles and all these young generation were there. When I started over a decade ago, I was the youngest person. And now it's like 19 year olds, 20 year olds coming in, having trouble with intimacy and connection and feeling so disconnected from their sexuality with so much porn and sexual images and and social media, all like killing their brain. And I just had this overwhelming feeling. Wow. I go to recovery centers. I talk all over the world, but I have to go bigger. So that's the the journey of like writing the book. It wasn't me. It was my higher power. Like, okay, now assume this position and write this story. But yeah, you can go on Amazon right now. It's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. It's 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 a memoir slash self-help slash fiction. So I like to say you can try to guess which story is mine and which one's not. And it's so no one can sue me. But yeah, I just <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get sued. And That's but smart. the thing is, there's so much stigma and shame being a sex and love addict, especially as a woman. Nobody oh. talks about it, but our community is huge. You know, we're 3 million people in the United States are sex and love addicts. And that statistic was from 2017. And I'm telling you, it's blown up that more and more people are having trouble with relationships, intimacy, their sexuality, you know, feeling love, feeling enough, fear of abandonment. So all of that. But yeah, that was my journey. I never wanted to come out as a sex and love addict, but it was bigger than me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit, mine drop when the pandemic happened because I'm already a germaphobe. So <laughs> <when the laughs> pandemic happened. It's like, hey, you want to go out? No, get away. From no, me. I mean, I don't. Who have you been exposed to? Do you go to the grocery store anytime soon? So I'm like <laughs> avoiding people completely. Well, and I you talk it, it as you pointed out as self help because you do even have some stuff in there, materials, even questionnaires. Am I correct on that? Where people kind of almost have a 40 question checklist they can go through and, and yeah. really evaluate because, uh, I often wonder that, uh, you know, feeling, as I put it, uh, you know, my mind, my spirit, my body just weren't feeling aligned. I've definitely gone through some difficulties post my divorce and in, in my recovery with alcoholism. So it's it's really fascinating to me you included that. Yeah, I included, you know, I try to be as a- transparent as possible, giving people tools to actually get through the program, especially if they don't want to do a 12 step program, because some people don't, they think it's a cult or that it's going to like control your life, which it saved my life. But I gave in the book, there's these 10 rules you can live by to live an authentic life and have intimacy. But then on top of it, there's these 40 self-diagnosed questionnaire. You can go online right now, type it in 40 questions, slaw, And fill it out. And they say, if you get more than five yeses, you might have this problem. And it's questions like, do you think a relationship is going to make your life bearable? Have you had inappropriate sex with inappropriate people at inappropriate times? Do you keep going bad back to bad relationships? Do you find yourself in a relationship, but becoming sexually anorexic where you don't actually want to have sex with your partner because it's too intimate? You know, it's, it's, all these questions. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. So it's in chapter three, how many yeses I got. That is true. So if you want to find out, you have to go read chapter three. Well, I look forward to it. I have to worry. It's insightful. And I'm kind of sitting as I've, as I've done my research on you, like I, you know, and, uh, you know, digging back childhood trauma of Mm -hmm. sexual abuse, I, you know, I think alcoholism was my mask and I'm sure you probably see that with a lot of people that they mask it or they try to, uh, you know, so, not to, to make a colloquialism, lubricate with some alcohol so that they, they oh, can, sake, can Jason. be sexual, <laughs> you know, so that they can re- relax or, or try to be in that moment, so to speak. Or like you said, you get to a point where you just don't want to express your sexuality. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I mean, all the work I've done, I've worked with a lot of people that were alcoholics or, you know, in recovery for alcoholism or a chemical addiction. And what happens is when you take away that chemical addiction, whether it's alcohol and drugs underneath is usually some family of origin, Al-Anon issues. And then underneath that is usually where sex and love addiction, where, because 
it really stems from fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy, fear of being loved, fear of not being worthy. And it, it affects all your relationships. So I had someone come in that said they had 32 years of sobriety in AA, but they have not wanted to come to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And I had another person say, I could quit heroin, but I can't quit her. And that's how addicting. And the number one reason people lose their sobriety and chemical addiction is relationships. Mm -hmm. Relationships will take you down if you do not have healthy tools to manage a healthy relationship. And for me, I came from a very tumultuous background. My parents did not have a healthy marriage. It was not mirrored to me what a healthy marriage looks like. So I saw fighting about money, sleeping in different beds, never saying, I love you holding hands. So when I thought of commitment and marriage, I was like, Ooh, I don't want that. Like, I want to be that cool girl. That's an enigma. That's like going and falling in love in this city. And then that city and always feeling that high of butterflies and falling in love and the first touch and the first kiss and the first, whatever, but that doesn't last. That is not what makes a stable relationship. And I didn't know that. No, amen to that. I, I can attest to that. Which makes it, yeah. I love that you raised your hand like you were in school. You were like, me, that's me right here. Yeah. Oh, you're saying it. And I'm going to own it. This is a this is a damn fact for sure. So I, I, I'm curious on this whole thing. So the the sex addiction, I understand that I get the conceit of that. But as far as like the love addiction or is it like. I understand what it means, but I want mm-hmm. you explain to me like when you were like, fuck, this is an addiction. I have a problem. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. People think they know what sex addiction is. So let's talk about both. No, 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 let's talk about it. I have an idea of it. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is the simplest way because people always think of sex addiction. It's a guy getting caught cheating on his wife, having to go to sex rehab. I'm so sick of that narrative because that is not actually what the complete picture is. The complete picture is we use our sexuality to manipulate and control. So that could even look like you being in a marriage, using your sexuality against your husband to get what you want. So you can be a sex addict and not have one night stands, not cheat on your partner. Now, for me, that wasn't the case. I was a cheater. I was a liar. I was a thief. I pretty much did anything I could to get my needs fixed. And I used other people as my alcohol. I say I drank and snorted other people. Like I would rate people of their energy. So what that looked like, I would be in a relationship. And as soon as that high, as soon as that love feeling went away, I found myself flirting and intriguing and getting validation other places and just kind of crossing that line. And then when I felt myself moving out of the relationship, I would be like making sure there was another relationship lined up. So it was like back to back to back relationships. That's how I was doing it. But then the love addiction side for other people is going with unavailable people, going back to bad relationships, getting on dating apps and swiping left and right, looking for that next person to complete them, to fix them, to be their soulmate. That is one way to look at it. Or it is, you know, cheating, going on porn, masturbating when you're having a feeling. So it's this combination of all these different behaviors that people can swing left to right. And then the other side of it is the sexual anorexia when you shut down completely. When you don't, you're not intimate with anybody. You're not dating anybody because all of it, like I said, is fear of, you know, intimacy. It's great. Our brains are so freaking wild, aren't they? When you say things, it's really got me thinking like, fuck, do I have that? <laughs> <laughs> Usually everybody does. Honestly, our society really amplifies being a sex and love addict. I mean, every movie, if you think about it, it's like about falling in love, the fantasy of that, you know, looking for someone to complete us, to be our other half. And then listen to music. It's all about the pining for a love that went away or a person that doesn't show up for you. It's just exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Or you go back. I was weird. I was listening to some sixties songs and I'm mm-hmm. like, boy, these lyrics are disgusting. This is a man lusting after like, I, like, I can't wait till you're of age type of stuff. And it's like, it's been permeated for so long. Yeah. And, and, and I really I'm glad you brought it up because I want to ask you being in Hollywood and playing mm-hmm. different roles that you have and been in some di- very prominent stuff. 
like how do you look at some of that material because uh there are some i was talking about a movie i won't mention it but it's like that is, was an abusive relationship. This gal hit this dude all the time. And I get it wraps up real cute and they die together. But it was a fucked up relationship. And you might know what I'm talking about here. I think I do. <laughs> I guess you can. What is it? The Notebook. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think it's a shitty example of a relationship. Well, that's the number one. And I write about it in uh, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. The main character, Roxanne, talks about how toxic the notebook is. And it's the number one movie in our program you cannot watch. It's like a love triangle. She cheats. But everybody like feels like that's they're looking for their Noah to complete them. And I think in Hollywood, we just amplify the problem and a lot of times every character I've ever played is a sex and love addict. I can literally, I think one character wasn't on six, the show six I was on, yeah. but everybody else was a sex and love addict. So it's, it's difficult sometimes for How me. Can you cheat on Ryan Gosling. That's what I don't <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good point. It's like, what the fuck is the matter with you? But um, so being a sex and love, is it, hard for you to play those roles like does it kind of bring back you know yeah no when I first started in recovery I did not work for a year wow. like I found myself going into rooms like wearing a mask it was like an actor playing an actor in real life but then I was an actor in my life does that make sense like yeah. I was never a whole person there was that hole inside of me like give me attention give me validation give me the job to give myself worth and I just found myself going to rooms trying to be a person when I wasn't even a person mm -hmm. so yeah the first year I was willing to give up my career to get my sobriety. I said, God, if you need to take away my career, if I need to do something else, take it away, please. Like I need relief because I cried every day for nine months. And I kid you not, it was like coming off the worst drug in the world. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I wanted to zip open my skin and just crawl out. Mm -hmm. And I go into detail about how painful Imagine your worst breakup, right? Everybody gets through painful breakups. People commit suicide over breakups, murder people over breakups. It was horrendous. I, I, there was this one moment I was on the carpet, like crawling at the carpet, trying to like, like get this trauma out of my body I created. And yeah, it's just, it was brutal. So I didn't work for a year. My therapist told me I picked the worst career for my addiction because I'm like a fantasy addict and <laughs> need validation and all that. But yeah, now I just, I look at the roles as ways to help other people. And I don't take a lot of sexual roles anymore. Honestly, I just, I'm not interested in playing that anymore. Sure, for sure. Under understandable. I'm trying yeah. to recall some of your, because you were in Jarhead, right? Oh yeah, she was a sex and love addict too. She I'm cheats on Jake Gyllenhaal. That's oh. right. Okay. What's the matter with? Because I've only seen it once. And I, was trying to I have a problem. Okay. <laughs> More with Brianne Davis coming your way. We dig into some of the Hollywood underbelly of things and how it could work. Also, we do talk Harvey Weinstein, that situation, and her experiences within Hollywood. And those fun random questions. We'll be back. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. But that's the weird thing sometimes about art mirroring life and some of those mm -hmm. things. You know, you think of, I was having a discussion about Robert Downey Jr. and the Iron Man character in that arc. He was an addict. Iron Man, when that starts, he's an addict. He's an yeah. alcoholic. It's very well displayed. So it's, it's wow. 
it's really fascinating. So was Hancock. Now I'm trying to think of all the <laughs> but, addicts and what Hancock. Yeah. Well, but, there's a lot of addicts in Hollywood too. I, I feel oh like we're God. a bunch of sex. I go on set and I'm literally like, not that I'm diagnosing or judging, but I'm definitely like, you're sleeping with the wardrobe person. You're cheating on your wife. You are obsessed with it. Like I literally can't help it. I like diagnose everybody. Like that oh, dude's yeah. a horrible, or that girl's a horrible actress. She's sleeping with the director <laughs> or vice versa. You know what I mean? Well, like, and, it, <laughs> and it's probably uh, what kind of impact did it have you when things like the wine situation came to light i'm assuming that you were had many situations like you said meeting needs and, and using the sexuality that it it occurs and i'm not I, by no means condoning what that guy but it does there is another side to it too i mean he's a terrible horrible person putting these yeah. people in such, but there's another side too that's always been that quote unquote underbelly that there is things like leverage, like you said, maybe there's a, the, you know, an AD on set and they hook up with the star because they think it'll kind of come, you know, and they build up a fantasy thing in their head, which very guilty of you know, that fantasy stuff about life oh. relationships. Fantasy will take you down every time it takes you out of your reality. But I do talk about in the book a lot, the showmances, you know, going on location, not being in your reality, having those romances, those flirtations that fill you when you're not in your reality. And then as soon as it's done, you cut it off. But when the Weinstein thing happened, it's funny. I was on a Weinstein show. Six was Weinstein show when it all went and blew up. So I was like right in the middle of that. And I remember thinking, the problem with Weinstein is he takes no responsibility for his actions. If he came out and said, Hey, listen, I use my job. I used it for power and control over women and I use them and I shouldn't have, and I want to make amends for it and right my wrongs. That's one thing to deny when you do that. Cause listen, I've been a perpetrator. I've hurt other people for my own needs. I've wanted power and control over people because I felt so empty inside that that was the only thing that gave me my self-worth was that outside. Oh, I have control and power over you and your emotions, but I've also been the victim of being in Hollywood. And I really talk about that in the book, the underbelly of what working in Hollywood looks like for a working actress, not an a-list celebrity, not someone that has everything handed to them. And that was important to me that you can be a perpetrator and a victim at the same time. And I think when I think of Harvey Weinstein, he's, you know, a, a narcissist for sure, but he, some trauma had to happen to him for him to behave that way. And it's just when you don't take responsibility for your actions is where I have a really big issue. Well, and you nailed it, uh, you know, because the more conversations we have very seldomly, and I think Mikey would agree, do we talk with anyone of any form of addiction, mental health thing, that there is not an underlying trauma that is there. Mm -hmm. what, what you've, you've detailed some of that childhood stuff. Was there any other occurrences out of that uh, other than speaking about your parents? And when did you kind of think that you started to develop it? Was it at a pretty young age when you started dating or is it something that kind of manifested more over time? Well, when I really looked back, I looked at my family tree and alcoholism ran deep in my family. And it's so interesting that every generation after it developed an ism in a different way. You know, one became a workaholic, one was an overeater, and it translated to me as a sex and love addict. I, and when I broke it down while I was writing the book, you know, chapter five, six, and seven is looking back at the why, you know, you can't move forward without looking back at the why walk through that fire and let the shit burn is another one, you know, compare and despair is my horrible character defect. And I try to go into a way where people can look at their trauma in a constructive way, feel the feelings, but then see why they did the things they did. But I had so much trauma and I, I talk about it so much in the book that every time I rewrote those chapters, I wanted to throw up. I kid you not. It was torture doing the audible, but like I had a really bad breakup young. I realized I was molested, which I blacked out. Um, I had a lot of trauma with my dad. I had emotional incest with my dad where a parent makes their kid their partner. Um, I had a mom, you know, that was unfaithful. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, she has the power. So it was like a combination of shit. And then the first time I cheated on a guy was in eighth grade. And I kid you not, when he kissed me in the closet and I go through details of what this was, 
I felt like a rush up my whole body. It was like a hair, like heroin went up my whole body. And that feeling of having a secret of it being dirty, that no one knew about it, that I only knew about it was like the best high in the world. And I've been chasing that since eighth grade ever since. How do you deal with it now? Because I believe when you raised up your left hand, we've got a ring on the hand there. Yeah, yeah. we got a ring. We're married. <laughs> That's awesome. How, how then in recovery did you, did you deal with that? Cause I, I, well, you know, I can understand in the younger years and that rush boy, you're hitting mm -hmm. things. It's like, okay, I'm ordering this book when we get off. But, um, how did you then, when you started to develop a real intimacy, what, what, what is that transition? Like, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of fear, but what kind of transparency do you recommend for anyone going into uh, a, a lasting relationship to try to what, disclose. I, you know, I hope I'm being clear. There's so many areas I'm wanting to. That's like the million dollar question. How do you, how do you lean into intimacy and commitment when you're terrified of intimacy and commitment and abandonment issues and scared of, you know, someone hurting you and or not being loved. And it's like, I have to lean in every day to that with my husband. We've been together for 16 years, almost 17 years. So I got in the program when we were together. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, you know, went through this process and I'll, I'll tell you like this, if you're in a marriage and you're feeling like you want to go find someone else or, you know, finding yourself flirting or DMing or, uh, you know, the coffee girl or the guy, whatever, I just have to tell you they're not going to fix you. They're not going to give you what you need. And I knew that something in me, it couldn't be all these men not giving me what I needed. That, that was the problem. I was the common denominator. So, you know, the first year, like I said, I didn't work, but the first year we didn't have sex. I had to shut down completely. I had to feel my feelings. Wow. I didn't, I, I wasn't allowed to run away from this relationship. Yeah. So I stopped myself from running and I just, I just allowed myself to be, be exactly where I was feeling these horrible feelings going through this withdrawal. And the, the beautiful thing is, you know, my husband has 32 years of recovery in AA. So he understood that my addiction had nothing to do with him. And that's what I say to people. You could be the most perfect partner to someone with this addiction. And it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with you. And this beautiful man said one time, a good friend of mine, he's, um, he was a perpetrator, you know, in our business and he's gotten recovery and he's one of my really good friends in the program. And he said, you could find the most beautiful human being on this planet. And I promise you someone's sick of fucking her. Oh my so, gosh. I've said that. I've said that before. Oh it doesn't God. matter. Girl, there's a guy tired of fucking her. I've said that. And right? Goes, like, for every good looking guy, there's a girl who's tired of fucking him. You know? yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Tommy Lee that. wrote a song about it. Oh my. Yeah. But that's the thing. So it's like how I deal with that. I had to do really hard inner work on myself. I had to look at that inner child. I had to heal the trauma I created. And that was created onto me. Mm -hmm. I had to set up boundaries in every relationship in my life. I had to, even my family, I didn't talk to a family member for a year and a half because they wouldn't respect my boundaries. I had to work diligently. I had to be of service. I had to meditate. I had to do all this inner work to heal my relationship. And then every day I have to lean into intimacy. You know, I have to not go into my character defects that want to self-sabotage. I have to get on a meeting in the morning, get on a meeting at night. I have to do those things for myself and for my marriage. So it's a lot of work, but it's the best thing I've ever done for myself. And I love to say this, my husband can leave me today and I will be okay. I'll be upset. I'll go through my grieving process, but right. he doesn't complete me or fix me. He's not my fucking soulmate. Like I'm my own fucking soulmate. No one else is going to do it for me. I live and die with myself. And that's what I realized is no one's going to complete me in this world. And I think that has helped me heal also. Thank yeah. God. I've, I, <laughs> I had this conversation <laughs> with someone about soulmates. I'm like, that is the most fucked up thing to do to another person. Yeah. Because you're putting so much pressure on the existence of another person, like you said, in the completion of making you whole. And humans are flawed. We're going to mess up. 
every person you're ever going to be with is going to mess up or going to get sick. You're going to see them throw up. You're going to see them have to go to the bathroom. It's like all that stuff that people put on relationships and someone else to be this fantasy for them is just so toxic. And I'm just ready to like, let's blow open the doors. Let's see how we use each other to give us our worth and stop, like stop walking around on this earth, wanting people to fill you. And I say, it's like, you're raping other people of their energy. And that's what I did. I, I used everyone like an ATM. Give me, give me, give me, give me. It was just exhausting. Oh, I could own that. Yeah. I'm I'm literally just taking this all in right now because I'm single 33 and it's Jason knows my backstory. I won't get into it too much on the female front, but it's like, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I'm like, I mean, shit, I believed in soulmates until about 45 seconds ago. (laughs) Now it's just like, well, fuck. Okay. Keep going. Like you're my therapy session right now. Just keep going. Uh, Well, you know, that quote, and I put it in the book, that quote, I love, I had to put it everywhere. If you want to meet the love of your life, look in the mirror. Like that is what it's all about. And that's what I really had to work on. My husband's not going to complete my life. My job is not going to complete my life. My money's not going to complete my life. My car, clothes, whatever it is, is never going to give me the self-worth that I have to do myself. And that is what the program is actually really about. It's not about finding a partner for life. It's not about you know, all that shit we think it's about finding the self-love and that's why it's a really hard program. It's a really, really hard existence, but is the, like I said, the best thing I've ever done. And here's the thing. No one can take it away from me. No one can take that inner work away from me. And that is what gives me my self-worth. Hell yeah. And life is hard. Life's just hard. We can accept that now. Right. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's like this. It's never going to. I always felt like before I did this work that life should go like straight up, but it's a roller coaster. You have bad days and you have to like show up when you don't want to show up and you have to look at your feelings, feel them. Don't be afraid of feeling feelings. They don't last forever because I didn't want to feel feelings. The only feeling I was interested in was euphoria 24 seven. And if you weren't going to give that to me, I'm moving on to the next person. Did you find that in, in, in your area of recovery, but actively in your addiction, much like for me, eventually alcohol just stopped working. It was like, okay, six was cool. And I'm feeling it. Then it was 12. Then it was 18. Then it was 30. Then in a month I had to drink. Like, I think my worst was like 500 beers. Shit. you not. Um, was it that same kind of thing that the, the rush and the high got shorter and shorter and shorter as time progressed? Yeah, it's a progressive brain disease. You know, it's not a chemical addiction, but it gets worse. If you if you look down the line, if, especially if you have relationship issues, each relationship gets worse and worse and worse. And you find yourself back in a toxic relationship, back acting out, looking outside of yourself. It was literally getting worse and worse. And I had this dark night of the soul moment. And I talk about it in the book is where I was on location about to blow up my life once again, starting to flirt and intrigue. And I remember being like, I don't even like this person. Like something is going on. And I was looking in the mirror going, what the common denominator is me. And I'm going to be, am I going to be doing this till I'm 80 years old? Like, am I going to be one of those women that are like, going around town, trying to get her, her needs filled at 80 years old. And that to me was so tragic. And I, it just was getting worse. And I was putting myself in dangerous situations. You can read about it in the book. It's really gnarly, really fast, (laughs) you know, in love triangles, people like trying to kill each other. I mean, I've had friends that have committed suicide over this addiction. Like I said, people murdered. I have friends in jail for this addiction. Watch a dateline. One day, every dateline is some love triangle. Someone's trying to get out of their marriage. So yeah, it gets worse and worse. It doesn't get better. It's like a drug addiction, but worse. And I also want to, we have this saying like a is the last house on the block you want to go to and slaw that sex and love addicts anonymous Slaw is like the shack in the back. Like no one wants to go to. It's like the last stop on the planet, but yeah, it's bad. Well, and I think so many other uh, addictions, they, like, they just go back to the those interpersonal relationships, or at least mm-hmm. I know from my personal experience, that is where my my trauma is grounded in. Yeah. 
That's where you reach outside of yourself, not to sit in yourself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm blown away. I, I mean, I'm, I'm ordering this book, Mikey, I'll give you the cliff notes. He's not a reader. <laughs> I'll have to, I, no, you can I'm, listen, you can listen to the audible. It was no, torture. on audible. Yes. Perfect. I had to act it out Did when you? they asked. Yes. They were like, okay, it's time to record the audible. I was like, excuse me. What? And they were like, oh, no, you have to like, I was like, can they hire an actor to do it? I don't want to do it. And they said, uh, you're an actor and we're not going to hire anybody. You need to do it. And it was, it was like reading the worst shit you've ever done. Thought, put yourself in sexual situation. It was like, I, I, it was torture. I, it was pure torture. <laughs> to I, I know the only books I've ever read in my life was The Catcher in the Rye, The mm. Knock the Doors Down book. <laughs> And that's, a, that's not a plug. That's a true story. And yours, like, I'm very intrigued with this whole thing. Like I, I am going to read it and well, yeah, I'm just, I am an audible person. So I'll, 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 I will switch from the Amazon or to the audible. That's very cool. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm proud of it now because I had to listen back to it. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to tell the story, especially because there's so much stigma and shame. And I also really tried to put a bunch of people's stories in this character of Roxanne. So when you read it, I want you to be able to like, oh my God, I did that. Oh my God. I said that. Oh, that's been done to me. Oh, I masturbate when I don't want to feel my feelings. Like I look at porn. I go back to that bad relationship. I have a love triangle. Like I really tried to put every situation so anybody can read it and go, Oh my God, I'm not alone. Thank God. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> Did you find in the, the recording process that it went from, I could only imagine it's opening those trauma wounds mm -hmm. and then listen back. It sounds like it was cathartic. Like once completed, you know, which is when, if people reach out to me for any kind of guidance or mentorship, I, I always tell them, honestly, it's going to fucking hurt, mm -hmm. but it's going to get a whole lot better and your life will become manageable. Yeah. It won't be perfect. It becomes manageable. So it sounds to me like it was a cathartic process too. It was, I actually wasn't prepared after I wrote an article for HuffPost after I hit 10 years before the book came out. And I had this moment where I was like, the morning it came out, I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? Did I ruin my career? Is anybody going to hire me? And they're thinking I'm like a crazy sex and love addict woman coming on their set. Like I literally thought my life was going to end and nothing happened. Two hours later, nothing happened. I was like, okay, girl, like humble yourself. You're a worker among workers, like get over yourself. But what did happen and has happened since the book was released, I've had hundreds and thousands of people reach out saying, thank you so much for writing this, saying this, that's my story. That's my mom's story, my dad's story. And it made it all worth it. Like, and I didn't realize after recording the audiobook, I was still holding that little bit of shame, right? That little bit of shame that we just keep for ourselves just on those days where you want to feel like the victim or you're not empowered and not as like healed as you are like the self-sabotaging shame. And it was just released. And it was like, Oh, I now fully own all of me. I'm not, you know, just my sex and love addict recovery self and my, and my job. And it just all came together. And it was just such a beautiful gift that I wasn't aware that I was going to get stepping in to doing what my higher power wanted me to do. Cause I was never interested in doing that. Yeah. yeah. Throughout the, 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 your addiction phase was mm -hmm. there, did other chemicals come into play that, that you've had to now are to abstain from as well, because it can kind of activate some of that behavior. Well, it's a whack-a-mole, right? It's like, yeah. Whack-a-mole one thing down. Yeah. You know, I talk about it in the book a lot. Roxanne, you know, moves to eating, you know, while she's going through with draw, she's like taking down a bag of goldfish in her bed or going to make cookies and eating all the cookies. Because when that overwhelming feelings happen, sometimes we go other places or go shopping or 
go to alcohol. I did not have, I do not have a chemical addiction. I want to be in power and control at all periods of my life. So I didn't go the chemical way, but I definitely, you know, shopped too much when I was going through it, ate too much, gained some weight. And then it all kind of evened out. The more I got recovery, those behaviors went away. They like kind of just drifted. It's like what I went to initially, but yeah, it tends to whack-a-mole when you start um, working on yourself like that. Yeah. I was curious. Cause I definitely lots of people, you know, for whatever it is, uh, I notice I'm trying to get off tobacco and mm-hmm. it's like, now I'm sitting there. I'm like, God, my appetite's starting to come back, yep. you know, which is a good thing. I do. I, I, I probably a little underweight for my height, but it, it's just interesting how we do. And, and the, the dopamine that'll occur in so many different ways for people. Yeah. I mean, an addict brain is an addict brain. Like we don't want to live in reality. We want to feel that hit all the time. And I still have that brain. I wake up in the morning and I want to jump on Instagram Mm. and it's like, nothing's on Instagram. That's going to give you what you need. Like, why don't you just quiet your mind, get on your knees and pray to a God you do not understand or see, or even believe in sometimes and turn it over And that's where I have to do, you know, my addict brain now wants to go to social media and see how many likes or new followers or whoever DM'd me. Right. And you just find yourself at random times bored getting on Instagram or somewhere. And it's like, nothing is going to complete you. And I, I realized I was still doing it. I would, my number one character defect is compare and despair. That's why I put a whole chapter seven for it. And it's about, you know, I would go online and try to find somebody I was greater than or less than. And 98% of the time I wanted to find someone that was greater than me. So I could feel like crap. It was like, I was, I'm so used to feeling bad about myself that I created scenarios where I would not come out on top. I was using other people's outsides and comparing them to my insides. And that's, you know, that was an addiction. And now I, I have to hand my phone to my husband and I'm like, I'm not getting on today. And it's like those small tools that I have to do to break that umbilical cord of trying to live outside of my reality. You hit such a hot button that, that is a concern Mm -hmm. for me as a dad with a daughter there. Yep. The, and I think women far more than men, although I did have some, some body issues growing up in the eighties and there's Stallone and Schwarzenegger and a pro wrestling fan when everybody was this, you know, Jack to the nines thing. But I think more so for women now, and I see it in young ladies I know, or even women older than me getting on social media and seeing a woman. And like you said, their outsides making them feel worse inside because well, I don't have boobs like her or a butt like her or those yeah. tight abs or whatever. And it's like a, someone that I care about near and dear. I'm like, yes, you have stretch marks, but you also gave birth to this beautiful person that's in this world. And that's just a result of it. We don't get to go back and change that genetic reality that you got stretch marks. Oh, well, lots of people do. And most of those people you see on, they're filtered filtered all over. It's ridiculous. Any A-list celebrity you think looks perfect on Instagram, I have seen them in person. They are not perfect. They all have stretch marks. They all have freckles and sunspots. And so it's like this unrealistic fantasy that society is just amplifying. And yes, for young women, but also young men. I have a three and a half year old son. I do not want him on Instagram. I'm going to be the mom. That's just uncool that her son's not going to have a phone or whatever. And when he does, it's not going to be one. He can go online because even young men seeing those images of young girls, they're desensitizing their sexuality. I mean, it says at six years old, young boys are looking at porn. And I'm telling you, I've worked with young boys coming into my program they are so disconnected from their sexuality that they're becoming impotent and that they do not honor that first moment of holding a girl's hand or their love interest, whoever you're attracted to hand or the first sexuality, because they have these unrealistic images of what it looks like. So I'm worried about boys just as much as I'm worried about girls. Yeah. I say you hit a button. I was exposed at a very young age to pornography and I I was too. I know that cause it really, what, what was the setting with you for it? Was it just something that was in the household or. 
Well, it was two things. I saw a Playboy magazine way too young. I think I saw it at seven years old. But mm. then my favorite movie of all time growing up, which is insane, is Romeo and Juliet. Oh. My parents were like the very cultured, right? You get to see like movies way before your time. And I remember watching that movie and I remember seeing Michael White's butt. And I was like, at a, such a young eyes, I was like, oh, that's a nice butt. Like I had that thought in my head. And then I remember that these two people were so in love. They were willing to die for each other. And I thought, that's what I want. I want someone to be willing to drink poison for me or die for me or stab themselves. Like that is the ideal mean of love. Yeah. And it's like, when you actually think about it, they're 13 year olds that knew each other less than 24 hours, slept together. Their families hate each other. Somebody was already murdered because of them. And then they commit suicide for each other. Like it's, insane uh, we can oh, when lump, you put it like that yeah well we can, insane. we can lump it right next to the notebook of like right yeah. hey guys romeo and juliet is not romance it's a tragedy yes but that's where the images when we see those images and seeing that porn and seeing oh this is what i have to look like to have people want me or accept me in this world it's so desensitizing especially at young ages and i'm just I'm terrified. They say that this generation growing up with social media and the porn and everything, we're going to see an epidemic where kids, I mean, it's, it's, they're actually terrified about it. I, I, yeah, I really, I, I feel that as a parent, I feel that. So I think I'm just going to do no kids, you know, <laughs> 33 years old. I don't think I'm going to do kids. I just, I, don't think, I have two beautiful nephews, one beautiful niece. That's good. It's just good, continue good being uncle Mikey. I'm going to be uncle Mikey, the funkle the rest of my life. <laughs> I didn't want kids either, man. I'm totally right there with you. I was not interested. I was selfish and self-seeking. I was like, I don't have time for a child, but here's the beautiful thing. Oh my God. I'm going to cry. Okay. Here's the beautiful right. thing. I get us crying too. Okay. My husband and I get to model what a healthy relationship looks like for our son. We get to stop the generational damage that was done to both of us. He comes from a broken home. Also, I come from a broken home and every day we get to show respect, compassion, intimacy, love, partnership. And we get to live a life where our son can look at us and and know what that is because I didn't. And the other day he was looking and he saw us kiss and it was just like, you could see like the innocence. And I just never experienced that as a child. And I also get to teach my child not to look outside of himself to complete himself. And if I can do that for my child and he goes out into this world and is a great man and is compassion and empathy for other people, can you imagine if everybody did that, how beautiful society would be if we taught our children how to have healthy boundaries, healthy tools, healthy ways of communicating and not looking outside of themselves to complete them. And so, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. Just if I, I don't keep my sobriety for my son, I keep it for myself, but definitely when I look at him and have clear boundaries and don't use my child to give me attention too was a big thing. Like, I don't say mommy needs a hug. Like mommy's had a bad day. It's not my son's responsibility to make my day better. Um, so yeah, it's, that's one of the best things I've ever done is to stop the addiction, hopefully at this generation, right. God willing. Virtual hug to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, it's it's funny you bring that up um, to talk a second about myself here, but my daughter and I, we had a conversation where she's almost 12 and mm -hmm. she stated that I overstepped a boundary and I was so fucking proud of her. And oh my I, God, I love that. You know, and, I, and I told her, I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that. I, I love you. Understand that, you know, her brother's just turned 13. I said, you're only... Uh, just about 12, but I, as a parent, I'm just a little over 13. So I'm sorry I made a mistake and it's, it's my fault and that I will do everything in my power. So that doesn't happen again. And it was like, wow, I was so proud. And thank I'm you. proud of you. Well, thank you. Like, congrats. No, that is the best thing a parent can do is take responsibility. Like to say, 
oh, mama made a mistake. I'm sorry. Dad made a mistake. I will try not to do that again. And I have to tell there's this beautiful moment with my mom. She said, I'm sorry. I didn't know how to be a mom to you because I didn't have a good mom. And the moment she said that, any resentment I had of my upbringing just kind of vanished because she took responsibility. And that's all what a kid wants is understanding and responsibility taken. And it's when you gaslight or say, no, I'm, or, you know, that I'm so proud of you. That's huge. Thank you. And likewise, you truly an inspiration. And wow. I was very moved by that. Mikey, I got to turn to you for a second. I need a second. Hey guys. My, <laughs> hey. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm I'm collected. I am back. Glad I could carry the show. <laughs> well, well have, these are strong here. shoulders, right? I'm here. the fucking co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Your ass back here. <laughs> I'm here. I just needed a second. I, well, I could always edit out, but I'm not. Let's say no, it. that's great. Leave that in. It. Um so in going out talk uh talking about the book more i mean you've done plenty of press but actually going in front of people what what is the most impactful thing that you take away from it i mean like i said it's pretty much the best thing i've ever done with my life if if i can help one person get out of the cycle of using somebody else then i've done my job and I'm telling you every day I hear, you know, I'm reading your book. It's changed my life. I watched you. I just had someone in Australia watch the doctors and they were like, I cannot get out of this addiction. Please help me. And I say to everyone, if you're listening, if anything resonates, please reach out to me on Instagram at the Brian Davis. I answer all my Instagrams. I will send you Zoom meetings. I will send you literature. I just want to help people. Because I was so, I felt so broken and alone and nobody told me for the longest time about sex and love addiction and no one talks about it. And it's such a problem in our society. And the moment I walked into the rooms and I heard other people, I like cried hysterically and I was sitting there and I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because the first time in my life I wasn't broken and I wasn't alone. So if I can do that for one person whether it's across the world or right in front of me when I'm speaking, then I've done my job. Yeah. Found your purpose. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's the interesting thing about the pain we go through that it can bring such great purpose, not just for ourselves, but, but others make the world a better place. Even you know, like you said, one person at a time, hopefully. Yeah. Because, you know, I spent 30 years or um, yeah, 20 something years rippling out that ripple effect, you know, all the trauma. And I realized going back and doing my amends that, you know, every time I hurt somebody, they ended up hurting somebody else. They ended up not showing up for their life. And I got to see the ripple effect of my addiction in other people in different ways. But now I get to see the ripple effect of me helping others and being of service and doing, you know, my, my step 12, I get to see how it helps. If I can help that person heal, they won't go and damage someone else and they mend their relationships in their life and they show up and they keep their word. And so, yeah, I'm just doing the ripple effect and trying to right my wrongs. You're freaking awesome. What a powerful person you are. Love it. Thank you. All right. We're going to, we're going to flip it here. We're going to have some fun. So we're going to jump into it. Not that this hasn't been fun and enlightening. I've, I've loved this conversation. Just totally irrelevant questions. Just yes. Okay. <clears throat> You're up first, Uncle Mikey. All right. Hmm. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you could bring one movie and one album, what would it be? One album. I would probably bring the Avett Brothers, their last album. I don't know what it's called, but I love them. Hmm. And I would probably bring the movie Jaws because that's my favorite movie. Jaws, you yeah, on an island, on an island. (laughs) Fuck that. You and I would get along so well. Not only did I also study acting and filmmaking, but Jaws and Star Wars were the two movies as a kid that had the largest impact on me. I love Jaws. I don't. I do too. Whenever it's on TV, I will just put it on. 
like it will be background noise. I love it. So. Oh, yeah. Because I at the point now I've seen it so many times that I know the visual. I know yeah. what's going on. It's like, oh, that's the first time when Roy Scheider's throwing the chum out. The shark <laughs> pops up and he, you know, the famous we're going to need a bigger boat. I just I just know it. My background noise is the office. <laughs> ah, I love it. Uh, OK. Um, here's an interesting one, being that you are an actress. Mm -hmm. If they were to make a movie about your life or the book, mm -hmm. who would you want to play either the, the main character from the book or you if it was so uh, solely autobiographical? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's somebody asked me that. They're like, do you want to play Roxanne in the TV show or movie? And I was like, hell no, I never <laughs> want to relive that ever again. But, you know, I always wanted like Dakota Fanning or somebody, somebody you would because. I say my addiction, I looked proper, but I like was a snake and I'd come around and you'd never see me coming. So it'd have to be someone you wouldn't see her coming. So it'd be like Kristen. Bell. Yeah. Someone like that. <laughs> Kristen Bell's I've worked with her. She's the nicest human being in the planet, but yeah, it would be like Dakota Fanning or somebody like that. Yeah. yeah someone that's got the chops enough to really kind of step in and lean into that. Yeah. And be willing to go to like the darkness. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Yeah, because clearly you would have to but with it. Oh, yeah. any addiction story you have to. <laughs> yeah, it gets gnarly. It's a gnarly ride. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the audible. So you've you've worked with a lot of big names and whatnot, but who would you choose to work with that you have not yet? If you could pick anybody, be it That's an actor, director, your your choice. Um, I love Steven Soderbergh, but I think I would pick Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yes. Because she is such a voice for sobriety and recovery. Yeah, she's, you know, had a chemical addiction and stuff, but I love she goes to her sets and holds like AA meetings. And I just honor anyone willing to share their darkness to help other people. Cause a lot of times we keep it hidden and I just adore her for that. So I'm obsessed with her. Nice. And she's so, uh, uh, hopefully we get a chance to speak with her someday, but so badass. And uh, I remember she was making a speech about her husband that brought me to tears. I forget what award show, but just such a badass person to go you know she was a went from the teen actor to the sex symbol to, to she's been through the whole cycle and yeah. come really full circle and uh you know yeah awesome person i i that would be cool i could see yeah. it with jamie lee curtis i could see that uh, tell her if she ever comes on that i'm obsessed right? with her. yeah if you ever run into her tell her you got to go on this podcast I okay you. we'll you be what? each other's pr people we'll yeah. be like Tell Kirsten Bell we want her husband. <laughs> okay, I'll tell her. Uh, um, uh, when you're stuck in traffic, as often in LA, what are mm -hmm. the thoughts that are going through your head? Or how are you occupying your time? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I used to, like, scream at other drivers. And my therapist is like, yeah, that's abusive. You can't do that <laughs> to people. Every day on my way to work, still to this day. Like, okay, that I'm your therapist today, and that's yeah. abusive. Like, she did you said, wake up today trying to piss me off? <laughs> Was that your goal? So I think for me, I actually, and it's crazy, but I listen to a lot of old timers in AA, even though I'm not in AA. So I put on youtube that are from like 20 years ago these speakers so that's what i do because i have road rage i get irritated with people because <laughs> people are my kryptonite so yeah i try to do that i try to just surround myself in serenity and peace it's interesting i'm gonna kind of segue from the fun questions but you said people are your kryptonite so beyond mm -hmm. just with your husband how did you redevelop interpersonal relationships then Every relationship changed after doing this work because I had to change. So every relationship, so there's no drama in my life. I have very clear boundaries with friends. If you don't show up for me, I don't let it go on and build up resentment. I usually cut it off, have really clear communications. If people hurt my feelings, I'm not allowed to get vengeful. So I have to deal with them in a healthy way. I take responsibility for my actions when I hurt other people, especially not on purpose. So yeah, it's like everything cleaned house. That's what this program does. It, and this work does. It cleans every area of your life. Yeah. 
no, that, that for sure. Mikey, one more from you. <laughs> you Suspense that? is killing me. No, no, no. I had it too. Damn it. I was going to ask you something specific and I totally forgot what it was. Um, yeah, we'll do that. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Damn it. Now it's going to bug me. I'm going to call you later. Okay. Call me later and be like, here's the question. We'll just punch it in. Yeah. One superpower. One superpower. Jeez. I don't know. I think that would be, oh God, this would be the best superpower ever. If I could just understand that 99% of the time, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Like people, how they react 99% 99% of the time has nothing to do with me. And if I could have that superpower, life would be so beautiful that I would just like allow people to show up how they are and not, you know, put it on me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That'd be the best superpower. <laughs> A lot of that, that I'll talk with my sponsor about the big three letter word ego and that, and I have to let that go because I, you know, people pleasing was such a thing for me. And it's like, mm-hmm. Your fucking ego. You, you you want to matter so much to so many people. It's like you got two awesome kids. Focus on that. You got right? people that genuinely love you. You got a tattooed uh, goofball that busts your ass every day when you work. You know, so it's like life is good. Stop. What is it? Edging God out. You're edging God out always edging when God you're out. in it. Yep. Yep. All right. So that does go around the different circles of the, of the different groups. I'm sure your husband. Obviously, that's probably. I know that's an AA talk a lot. Yeah, no, we we adapt all the A ones and my our house literally all we do is talk like recovery. It's like kind of gross after a while. You're like, okay, people. <laughs> That's all we do too. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, all right. If we ever make it to LA and have dinner of fit right in, no big deal. Perfect. Uh, we, can have a, we can have a meeting at dinner. <laughs> there you go. Right. The, the people will be like, why are these motherfuckers praying over here? Yeah, totally. It's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, we always like to leave the guests with the last kind of final thoughts. I know you've really touched on some great areas, but uh, anything else for anyone and not just in sex and love uh, recovery, but, or that might have that problem and have yet to identify, but just, just in general. I think the main thing that's really important for me is that you are okay. Just as you are, you don't need any more to complete yourself. And that if you do the work and you stop and pause and see that you are enough, just as you are, that the last thing is you do not need someone to complete you. And that's the most important. Like I said, you are your own soulmate. You don't need anyone to give you that self-worth. Miss Brianne Davis, you're fucking awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we appreciate your time so much in coming on here and sharing your story and folks it. Get the book. I'm going to grab the phone here once we press stop and and add it to my Audible right now. Oh, thank you. Yes. And it's unlimited on Kindle right now, so you can get it for free. So just go do it. (laughs) Excellent. And uh, anyone, all the description, find Brianna on social media. Like she said, you respond to your DMs. You want to know more about the book, her story. It's all there in the podcast description if you're listening to the audio or watching here on uh, YouTube. So thank you again. Thanks. Miss Brianne Davis, thank you so much for uh, coming on here with uh, Uncle Mikey and myself. Uh, what an amazing lady. What a, what a turnaround of life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, kind of leaving you guys hanging here, but uh, off the air, Jason and I did the quiz. That's in yes. the book. Yes. Turns the- out we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, 40 questions, and it and it's not necessarily your present state in life, but uh, overall and uh, in hey, the past, in yeah. the past, and um, it is available online. We we throw that link in the podcast description there for you to check out if you worry that you're a love and sex addict of of any spectrum at any point in your life. Uh, out of 40 questions, I got 30. I got 20. And let me correct that. We're not fucked. We it's it's manageable, but it was just a little. It was brought to light. To Jason and myself. Yes. So maybe something for us to, you know, focus on and build from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting quiz because it doesn't, again, take a look at current life. If it was current life, I'd probably maybe get like seven or eight. Yeah. But uh, as far as over time. my overall time of life and relationships and how I saw from, you know, boyhood to to manhood and girls, women, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. When I was... 
when I was at 10, I was like, okay, all right, we're, I, we got it. And then she kept going and I kept checking and I'm just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Uh, again, thank you, Brianne Davis. We really appreciate you. And uh, again, check out her book. That link is in the podcast description. Um, really, really mind-blowing book, but yet at the same time, very insightful. Um, so it's it's kind of entertaining and self-help all in one. And uh, speaking of books, hey, don't forget Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, that inspired this podcast. Uh, you can get that book with all the proceeds benefiting the Carlos Vieira Foundation, the Race to Be Drug-Free program, keeping kids off the streets, away from gangs, away from drugs, the Race to Be Autism program, and the Race to End the Stigma, focusing on mental health. So uh, all those proceeds, 100%. I'll go back to the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Uncle Mikey, got anything else? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate we welcome any comments suggestions or correction of errors privacy is of the utmost importance to us for those wishing anonymity people places and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests this website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony no guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.